episode 129? Yeah, 129 of uh, the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I usually write it down, but I didn't write it down this time. Uh, I am one of your hosts, the handsome and charismatic Patsy the Angry Nerd. Or you could just call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. Either one works. And uh, we are, of course, broadcasting and recording live from Castle Wolfenstein. And uh, I am joined, as always, by my co-hostess with the mostest, uh, the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, and the Michael Phelps of wine. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes on Nightmare. You forgot practically perfect in every way. I did not. I did not. But you did. No, I, I didn't. Because I am. I have that in my notes somewhere. Uh-huh. I think it's it's written somewhere. Uh-huh. I know it's written somewhere. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Do you you know where it's written, right? It's written on you. No, I know. The, the, well, you're giving me a look which doesn't translate over over the. This is. I didn't know. Exa- I, I didn't medium. exactly know where you were going with that. Oh, this is why you shouldn't skip rehearsal. I had rehearsal by myself. I had to play both parts. How'd it go? Uh, I what did I a, say? There was a huge. Was it interesting? Uh, there was a huge argument, and and uh, I don't know. And uh, I had to have the makeup. Did sex. I? Did I, I had hurt? to have the makeup sex. By I was going to say, did I hurt your feelings? <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, makeup sex, uh, we are of course joined by our uh, our producer, the hardest working man in podcasting. <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Wolfenstein. Please do not ever <laughs> mention a wake up sex and my name in the same sentence. No, no, no. Makeup sex. Oh, what? We both wear makeup? Is that? Yes. <laughs> uh, and not that I want to change the subject, but uh, I've always wondered the, the Michael Phelps of wine. Is that because. Ashes swims in it, or because he is like great at what he does. Little of column A, little of column B. Okay, you should see her hundred meter butterfly through a a wine trough. It's pretty impressive. Through a wine trough, yeah. How big are those? Uh, well, the one you can hundred meter butterfly through is Olympic size. Oh, so well, there you go. You should start competing, Ashes. I know. I mean, if if wine drinking was an Olympic sport, <laughs> I'd have the gold and the silver and the bronze. <laughs> yeah, um, I do. I do want to. Before we get into our thing, I have to talk about something that we experienced this past weekend with uh, Agent Nicole and Spicy Kristen were with us. We went a little mm-hmm. uh, winery tour. Yeah, and there is a thing called key lime pie wine, and. I drank some of it and then proceeded to buy two bottles. I feel like you need to give a little bit more of like a like a exposition on that. So we went to this vineyard up in New Hampshire. We're in the process of taking a wine tour of New Hampshire. We've been to three wineries already. We plan on going to three or four more in a couple of weeks. Um, we went to this one vineyard called Zorvino and... It is so delightful and charming once you get onto the grounds. Um, so that obviously plays to, you know, it's it's just positiveness, I, I guess. I was going to say, it's, it's delightful and charming whether you're there or not. 
Um, <laughs> but you can't experience it unless you're there. Well, right. But you go in and we had the opportunity. What are you doing? I have a fuzzy thing on you. I got it. <clears throat> the, the fu- that was my friend. That fuzzy on my sweatshirt was my friend, and you killed it, and I don't know what to do with my life now. You could talk about wine. And you wine. just completely sidetracked the entire conversation. Well, stop Good job, Patsy! No, Yay, you were sharks! Um, so, not only is the you know grounds just very charming, the ambiance of the place is, is quite delightful as well, and very rustic, and very like what you would want a... New Hampshire vineyard to be. Um, the wines we tasted were spectacular. I love the care that goes into these locally owned vineyards. They have the opportunity to experiment, and that's where the key lime pie wine comes from. Um, you know, and they just really put a lot of love, and a lot of care into the wines that they create. So, what they allow their winemakers to do with this place is experiment, have fun, create different flavors. And they will have these test batches of, you know, different wines that they come up with uh, that they, if it's good, they will, you know, put it in their tasting menu and they will bottle it and sell it to the public. So that's where the key lime pie came from. They are small, like, 375 mil bottles so not as big as your typical 750 mil like normal size wine bottle um but it was a it's a dessert wine and i'll let patrick talk about how it tasted because he took a sip and he just like flipped over the moon like literally i leapt 230,000 miles into the sky slingshot around the <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if that <laughs> sling shatted around the moon that, that doesn't that doesn't make it any better <laughs> and uh landed back and I was like oh my god this is this is fucking amazing you drink and this is just from a little sip because it's a tasting like they're not pouring you out half a bottle so I take a sip and you know, normally when you're at a tasting, they're like, "Oh, you'll, you'll, it'll be redolent of, you know, notes of almond on the edge of the flavor, and you know, hints of cherry and nutmeg and pine needles, you know, and whatever the <laughs> hell they put in these weird wines that you know we normally drink." The lady's like, "Yeah, so you'll taste, you know, the pie crust, and you'll taste this, and you'll taste." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, lady." And then I I drank some of it, and I tasted the key lime. Pie filling. I tasted the pie crust. I tasted the whip topping that went on top, and I was just like, "Holy shit, this was incredible!" It was easily my favorite wine that I think I've ever had, as far as like a flavor goes. Yeah. So the wine itself, kind of, it, it, in my opinion, had like the the base of a riesling, like of a of a sweeter riesling, and then they just added to it. So yeah, you could taste. The the lime from the key lime, and you could taste like the graham cracker crust, and you could taste the toasted marshmallow like uh, meringue topping, um, you know, on, on on the top of the pie, and it was just it was very good. And the way that the flavors, um, you you they hit the tongue 
separately, but then uh, uh, they just kind of marry together, like in your mouth. And it was just, it was very good. Yeah, it was, it was seriously like taking a bite, like the way the flavors got you. It was like taking a bite of key lime pie. And I love key lime pie. And I was like, this is amazing. And uh, I bought two bottles. It was. For, I, I figured when the lady's like, yeah, it's very experimental. We don't know if we're going to put it into production or not. You know, like mass production like you would with other wines. Um, I was like, all right, you know, it's it's probably going to be like 30 bucks a bottle. Nope, 10 bucks a bottle. I bought two, and Agent Nicole also bought two. And hopefully there are some more left when we go back. Um. Also in the process of trying to get these guys to sponsor us because I just want to talk about all the wine that they had because um, it was it was just friggin' phenomenal. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not gonna say no. If they want to send I'm us wine, <laughs> if they want to send us wine to to review on on the show and the in the Von Nightmare Vineyards, that'd be fantastic. So if anyone's listening to this and. You know these guys. Uh, put in a good word for us. Yeah, so we plan on hitting it back up um, on the second leg of our New Hampshire wine tour. and Doing the regular tasting. Yes, doing the normal tasting. Because uh, this, this tour, you get three tastings per person per vineyard. Uh, they're normal tastings. It's like $5 per person, and you get to pick nine wines. Mm-hmm. I would just do the key lime pie nine times. That's what I would do. <coughs> or eight That's... and try something new. Like the chocolate cranberry, which was also fucking amazing. But uh, we, we have we have other things to talk about. There'll be plenty of time for wine because uh, we will make time for wine. So, Ashes, what do we got? What do we got going on today? So today we are talking about the character Bert from 1964's Mary Poppins. And because Mary Poppins is... Uh, in theaters next week, returning six days. We thought that we would talk about this, seeing as and, and seeing as we already, you know, had a uh, an episode on Mary Poppins, a Jolly Holiday with Ashes, way back in our infancy. Right, I think that was like the third or fourth episode. It was the third episode, and then um, the next one was Once Upon a Time Warp. Oh my God, I got it right. Um. So we thought that we would delve into this character. And even though this specific character is not in Mary Poppins Returns, a character along, a very similar character is. Yes. And we're going to kind of discuss, uh, this is speculation at this point because we haven't seen, by the time this uh, airs, it'll be, actually, where's, it'll be about a week before the movie drops. Yes. But we are seeing it. Normally movies drop on a Friday, but you can get like Thursday showings. We're going Wednesday the yeah, 19th. The, the, yeah, the movie comes out Wednesday so, the 19th. Yeah. That's when we are going to see it. Yep, so a week, about a week from today when you're listening to this. Um, so anyways, because Mary Poppins holds such a special place in my heart and has since childhood, I pose the question, what are some of your favorite movies from childhood that have followed you into adulthood? Well, for me, there's, there's a handful Um and they're movies that you know I've mentioned on the show uh, multiple times, such as The Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. That's one that I've been watching for over 30 years. 
I, I'm counting anything that I've been watching for more than 30 years because, you know, once I hit seven, I was pretty much an adult. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not even an adult now. I was going to say, um, um, no. So the, the Monster Squad is definitely one. Um, another one, and they've never really been able to make a good movie of this character. Maybe once in the early 90s, they came close uh, but I'm talking, of course, about uh, Disney's Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest they've ever come to making a good version of this character is uh, Mel Brooks' take, uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. I believe it was 1991, one of Dave Chappelle's first movies, if not his first. Um, that was a phenomenal film. But, yeah, uh, it, Robin Hood, and reason, the, the real reason that I, I thought about Robin Hood uh, when you, we first discussed this was in Mary Poppins, which we just rewatched, because there's a bunch of stuff at the beginning that I totally forgot about. Um, the scene where they're in the chalk painting, the uh, animation style is identical to that of uh, Robin Hood. You know, so as you know, as you know, if you've watched a lot of Disney films, the animation style changes over the years. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was the identical style, and I think that was part of what attracted me to that movie because I just, I really liked the way it looked. I liked the way all the the different characters were drawn. Um, like, just like I know it's going to sound dumb, but like I I really pay attention to a lot of these details. I really loved the way the mud was drawn and animated in a lot of the different scenes. You know, like the way it looked realistic, you know, um, the the physics of it, which when I was younger, I didn't know. I couldn't put the words to it, but like the way it splashed, the way it like splattered on stuff. I just thought that was like done so well. Um, and I just liked I liked all the characters. Uh, that's why I, I have that poster hanging in my room. But yeah, I'd have to say those those are definitely uh, two, and obviously Godzilla nineteen eighty five. But that one I haven't watched as much. I did buy it for myself and my brother uh, Dan for Christmas a couple years ago. So uh, how about you there, Ashes? What are what are some aside from Mary Poppins? Well, I took into consideration movies that have had some sort of like impact on my life as like a child and still resonates with me in some way as an adult. So obviously Mary Poppins, when I was younger, I used to grab an old diaper bag and would wear some of my mom's old clothes and go outside in like a really big hat and an umbrella and just like jump up and down and, you know, try to get the wind to take me away. You do that now. <laughs> I know. And so not much has changed. Um, you know, and and into adult life, like Patrick mentioned, I have a Mary Poppins-inspired tattoo. Um, I have some Mary Poppins-ish items that I've added to my wardrobe, especially recently. Um, I was going to say you got a, a wedding present. A couple of years ago. Well, Jesus, five plus years ago. That was a while ago. Yeah, five plus years ago. Uh, you also got a very nice Christmas present from one of our good friends a few years ago. If you want to tell the folks about that one. I was going to. 
You let me talk. It's my show, too. God damn it. I, you had the option to host, and you're like, no, you should talk as much as you possibly can. I don't think I said those exact <clears throat> words. Um, no, I, I did get um, the... I think it was one of the first printings of P.L. Travers, Mary Poppins. She is the, of course, the author of and creator of the Mary Poppins character. Um, and a couple of years ago, a friend of ours uh, got me a replica umbrella of uh, the famous parrot umbrella that she carries. Um which is still, in the, I, I can't bring myself to, to use it. I can't bring myself to remove it from the box. So, um, you know, it's, 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 I'm considering it a collector's item. Um, I have a couple of carpet bags as well. I consider it my, my goal in life is to be like a gothic Mary Poppins. I have a couple of hats as well. Um, so yeah. And then another movie that came to mind almost immediately is The Wizard of Oz. When I was younger, I had the plastic, like really clunky uh, red glitter shoes with the bows on it um, as like a replica of Dorothy's ruby slippers. I had this stuffed dog that I would put in this yellow and orange like Fisher Price grocery basket. And again, I would wear one of my mom's old dresses and run around and pretend to be Dorothy with my hair in pigtails and clicking my heels together and pretending to follow the yellow brick road. And, you know, that's something that still impacts me as an adult because, A, I still love the movie. I think it's fantastic. You know, despite the controversy and stuff that came with the movie, um, I think it's still brilliantly done and it still holds up really, really well. Um, but as an adult, I still have my very own pair of ruby reds slippers high heels you'll probably have multiple. i actually have a couple of them now that i think about it but yes so so those are your those are the two that came to mind i mean obviously right off the bat um i i mean there are also other ones that like i mean like there traumatize are other you like disney the never-ending story the fox and the hound you know stuff that you try not to watch again because it it impacted you, but like, oh man, never-ending story. I will never forgive. Atreyu. I will never forgive Artax for giving up in the swamp of the pit of despair, or whatever it was. Oh, also the Princess Bride. Yep, the Princess Bride, uh, the labyrinth for me. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, Young Frankenstein, Wolfie. What about ET? <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm ducking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wolfie is funny today. Well, it's true. It had an impact on you. You didn't say positive, well, this negative. Is true, yes, it had a so, negative impact on me that has followed me into my adult life. Unfortunately, and I people think it's funny to torment me about it. I mean, it is funny. It's silly. It's silly I that an adult is is afraid of this. You know, Jim Henson puppet like alien dude that apparently is supposed to be adorable no fuck that shit it's like a that peanut butter not cute goblin. not cute at all mm-hmm. creepy it's the only alien invasion film where 
you know, the aliens don't just like go out and start killing people, but they slowly assimilate your emotions. So I can understand where uh, it would it would be traumatic for a young child. I don't know. I haven't watched the whole thing. I think I get maybe like 20 minutes into it and it's like, nope, that's it. He does make some weird sounds that would freak people out. Because they had like some lady with emphysema do his voice. Like, I just, nope, nope, not today. Not today, Satan, he not looks, today. Yeah, he looks not weird. Happening. He sounds weird. Not happening. It's still, and it, it's, I don't know what it is. Like, I've gotten past, like, I can see a picture of him, you know, or, or like a, hear a reference of him and not be, like, completely freaked out. You know, so I'm I'm growing, I'm maturing as an adult, um, but it's still like I have no desire to see that movie at all. Um, it still gives me nightmares. Oh, well, you know, it happens. You know, again, there are. But we're like supposed that. to be think uh, talking about like happy stuff because this movie's so happy. I was gonna say you didn't specify that. You just said movies from your childhood that like really stuck with you. For whatever reason. I should have said movies that had a positive impact. So. That's uh, my fault. Yeah. I mean, Wolfie makes a good point, though. Well, even like I said, you know, you got Neverending Story, which was traumatic. The Fox and the Hound, which was traumatic. The Monster Squad, which was traumatic, you know, when you're a little kid and you see, spoiler alert, uh, Frankenstein's monster get, like, zipped into the, into the, the, void of nothingness like it is it is you know kind of sad you know but the rest of it is uh the rest of it is is good enough that it kind of balances that out and makes you want to go back and watch it so i don't know that's that's my take wow thanks for putting a black cloud on this conversation I didn't. I just it, those movies affected me. Yeah. What are some of your movies that affected you? We would like to know whether it's good or bad. Did you share any of the ones that we have? You know, I know we have listeners with uh, different age ranges. So if you have some that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe are uh, different from ours but affected you in a similar way, we'd love to hear about it. So, all right, I think... That's good enough. Unless you have anything else you want to talk about at the beginning before we get into our main Bert conversation. Oh, I forgot one. <coughs> what? Winnie the Pooh. Which which movie? Just Winnie the Pooh. Oh, just like in general. Just like in general, Winnie the Pooh. Like that's not a movie, but there were movies. Yeah, but I don't know if you had like a specific movie in mind that you know like affected you like. You know, the Muppets have multiple movies was like, you know, like the Muppet oh. caper didn't affect me as much as the Muppet movie. That's another one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, a Muppet Family Christmas that I just found a couple of years ago on VHS and mm-hmm. picked up because you can only buy it on VHS. Fortunately, we have two VCRs. And it's the freaking edited version that edited out the whole scene where um, like... Fozzie and the snowman have this whole like sing along. Yeah, I remember how mad you got. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was great. Mm-hmm. They were telling each other each other jokes. Yeah, that's why Fozzie's the best because he has the best jokes. And they were like, ah, walk 
Galaka. So, but yeah, let us know yours. So, I think with that, we'll uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, we'll talk some Bert. All right, and uh, we'll be right back. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and Trick or Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday on the Grand Guineal Network. Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 3,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 100 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. didn't miss us too much during the break uh i did hope you enjoyed that uh that power slam promotion because that uh free code is still going on so if you're interested in checking out some of the wrestling uh you know they have wrestlerama belfast um you've got you know head of household bar wrestling six smash wrestling uh, PCW refused to lose. I'm just looking at some of the stuff that they've got on the app right now. That's just absolutely amazing. Uh, so if you're interested in trying it out, head on over to powerslam.tv and enter our promo code THROWDOWNFREE, all one word, all capital letters, for a free month of PowerSlam. That's awesome. And use, even with a month, you're not going to watch everything that they have on there because it's thousands of hours of streaming. So, I mean... Obviously, if you enjoy it, keep the subscription. So, <coughs> ooh, pardon me. So, with that being said, we have uh, a very specific discussion. And what's funny is, while Dick Van Dyke is not bringing back this character, he is sort of reprising a role that he had in the original film. 
uh, he is playing Mr. Dawes Jr. So I would say at this point it would have to be... Um, you remember the old man who got the funny joke at the end and Dick Van Dyke was playing the old, old man who died at the end of the A film? A wooden leg named Smith. Yes. A wooden leg named Smith. He is now playing... That's a really good impression. Yes. Yes, you're welcome. He's playing that character's son, but looks exactly the way the original character looked because he was supposed to be very old, and at this point, he would probably match up with Dick Van Dyke's actual age of, what, 94? I believe so, yes. So he looks exactly the same, but he's playing the son of the character he played, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 years ago. So... It's very interesting to see that he's he's coming back and in a way reprising a role, but at 94 you can't expect him to be leaping across rooftops and, you know, racing. I was say Dick Van Dyke is rather spry for his age. Yeah, well, a spry 94-year-old is still not expected to, like, start doing all these high kicks and things and jumping and flipping around. Stepping time! Yeah, or... You know, being an actual chimney sweep, which I don't know if he actually did. I don't know how detailed he got into his role. I don't know if he became a chimney sweep or became an artist, raced carousel horses. I don't know how method he got. But uh, the biggest question I have about Bert is he recognizes the signs of... Mary Poppins' arrival as he's singing songs about people that he sees at the park. And he knows that it's her. My question is, and I don't I don't know if there's an answer, and I'm open to suggestions. How does he know her? They clearly have a previous relationship because she recognizes him on site and she's very happy to see him. But I just don't what is their relationship like? You know, we see some of the stuff that she does, like doing the chalk painting and like leaping into the chalk painting. And, you know, Bert says, oh, and it's never a dull time when you're with Mary Poppins. Like, oh, she can do all these crazy things. Like, what do you mean you're just going for a walk in the park with the with the kids? No, no, no. You got to do something exciting and fun and magical. And so clearly he's had multiple experiences with her. So my question is, is she like a, is he like a herald? Like he goes from place to place because he has multiple jobs and he's very good at all his different jobs. Mm -hmm. Does he travel from place to place kind of scouting locations for Mary Poppins? Sort of like how the Silver Surfer would go find uninhabited worlds for Galactus to destroy. Does he go and find troubled families and kind of case the neighborhood get to know everybody all the all the the neighbors and the people that come and go and kind of let her know that hey this is another family that needs you i mean that would be a rather interesting theory because when we do meet him he is a one-man band Mm -hmm. and he's actually uh Playing a little bit of a song that you hear with lyrics later on in the film, yes. which is the Jolly Holiday song, mm-hmm. which is my favorite like scene in the entire movie. 
Um, and he, he kind of, he stops for a moment and he realizes that everything is, is, is changing around him. The wind has changed and, and the, the, the just overall feeling of the atmosphere has changed. And he says, winds in the east, mist coming in like something is brewing about to begin. Can't put my finger on what lies in store, but I fear what's to happen has all happened before. Now, see, this is <clears throat> we were talking about this line earlier. The fear part. And I was kind of, you know, playing devil's advocate, like, oh, why does he fear Mary Poppins? But I don't think that's what it is. Now that I'm listening to the the words again just now, it's the unsettling, the unsettled family life that's going on. Meaning like, hey, this is a potential spot. Like I was saying, like he's kind of scouting things. This is a potential spot. But if she's showing up, it's almost reached the point of being irreparable. Well, and you have so, to wonder, too, like, so if when you put it that way, if uh, if a family situation gets so bad, it affects the weather. Because obviously this, there's some type of magic going around. Well, and that's what the neighbors were saying. Oh, there's a bad storm brewing in number 17 Cherry Lane. Right. And then the weather changed. Right. So it's the it's the family life. It's the home life that's causing the change in the weather. And it's the change in the weather, the change in the wind that draws Mary Poppins. And the fact that she gets the note that the children, the advert, the advertisement that the children created that Mr. Banks ripped up, put in the fireplace, the, you know, not going fireplace at the time yeah it was a cold fireplace yes and that blew up through the chimney that she then obtained and put back together and i think that has again something to do with bert he almost acts like a homing beacon where he's not overly magical himself but he's a conduit yes He's he's a conduit for magic so he can if he's around he's in a certain uh like there's a certain radius where he affects things all around him. And I think that's part of it. Like, he knows he's supposed to go from one place to another. You know, and that's why he does so many different things. Well, jobs. I was going to say, and that's why that's such a great theory, because he doesn't have a steady job. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's like a, a, a jack of all trades, if you will. You know, uh, during this film, we see him as the one-man band. We see him as a chimney sweep. We see him as a street artist. A street artist. Um, he mentions something about going to sell cashews at one point or, or some type of nuts at he some said point. It's a, it's, a, it's, a good, it's good weather to sell roasted chestnuts. That's it, yes. Yes. Um, and in the well, end, at the end of the film, he's selling kites. Yes. He's... It kind of reminds me of a Twilight Zone episode where a guy is selling exactly what people need at the time. Like there's a, you know, the guy walks by and the street vendor says, oh, this is what you need. You need this pair of scissors. And the guy's like, why the hell would I need a pair of scissors? And he gets his scarf caught. I forget if it's in like a car door or an elevator because it's been remade. And, and like there were a couple of different like like the X-Files and stuff did different versions of this where he gets his scarf caught. Maybe it's in an elevator or something. And if he hadn't had the scissors to cut the scarf, he would have been killed. So maybe Bert is like one of these benevolent uh, forces where he is whatever needs to be 
there. Like he needs to sing this song about Mary Poppins at the time that the weather changes. He needs to make this chalk painting or this chalk drawing for the kids to leap into and have their adventure. He needs to be selling the kites because, you know, that's where Mr. Banks runs into Mr. Dawes Jr., the character that he now plays in this film. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that you refer to him as a jack-of-all-trades because one of the things I want to talk about is his analog in the new film, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's character is named Jack. And I think that might be a reason. Like, everybody kind of moves on and kind of looks a little different. I mean, the kids obviously have grown older. Mary Poppins has stayed the same age. Like, if you just discount the mm-hmm. fact that it's a different actress, she stayed the same age. They've she done a really good job of, you know, just, just talking, touching on the Mary Poppins character. Um, they did a really good job of... Uh, and not not that Emily Blunt needed to be made up so much because she kind of, in a certain way, resembles a young... There, there are certain characteristics that she has, certain traits that she has yeah. that, you know, she already, she already resembles uh, a young Mary Poppins already. But I think she definitely would need... But they, but they did a little... A little, I don't want... A little I, tweaking. Yeah, she needs a little bit of... Uh, of the aesthetics to be slightly altered. You know, and the fact that they... Because if you look at her in A Quiet Place, she does not look like Mary Poppins. Well, well, no, but they but they did a really good job with, I mean, you know, she's rosy cheeks and... The hair. You know, very fresh the, face. Yes. And um, I was going to touch briefly on her ensemble, which I'm loving because it's not an exact replica of what Julie Andrews wore, but it's almost like paying homage to it. The coat, and she still has a carpet bag. It's just, you know, instead of floral, yeah, instead of floral, it's like colorful stripes. And she still has the parrot umbrella. It's just a different color. Well, I think the parrot umbrella is actually alive. Oh, it is. It is. So she wouldn't discard that unless um, she had to. You know, and her hat has changed and her shoes has changed. But but there's still like, like she's still wearing a hat. But it's also 30 years later. Right. But I'm like, you know, but she's still wearing a hat that still has, you know, it it has the potential of becoming as iconic as that black and cherry and daisy flowered hat that she had. My only issue is that the whole premise of this movie is she's coming back to save the Banks children. And you and I both feel the same way. She was never there in the first place to save the Banks children. She was there to save their father. Which is why the movie starring Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson is called Saving Mr. Banks. The movie that is... You know, uh, not not it's not a documentary, obviously. No, it's a biopic. Yes, a biopic about the creation and making of the 1964 turning the bo- the book series into a movie you because know, and, P.L. Travers was very against this. Yes, and she there was, you know, there there was a story there and they saw that and they decided that they wanted to to make it into a movie. And the big thing was and this is also in the books as you know as as um as well, you know, uh Mary Poppins does a lot with the children. But like the big thing was that it's not saving the children. It's saving the father. It's saving the father. And she even 
and I'm I'm sure this came up in an actual conversation. She even chastises um, Walt Disney by saying, "Oh, you think it's about the children?" Yeah, she was like, "It's never about the children." Yeah, it's because when you watch it and you see how they interact, you know, Mr. Banks and and Mary Poppins, when you see how they react, interact. And you see the effect she has on him. Well, let me make one thing perfectly clear. I never explain anything. She's very cross with him. And nobody has ever been cross with him. Yeah, no one's ever spoken to him that way other than the bank guys. His wife, Winifred, who is this feminist, you know, uh, joins the suffragettes, has sashes, votes for women, you know, um, is turns into this complete stereotype wife when her husband is around yeah, around you I was know, gonna say, the docile domestic well, whatever you say dear you it, know better than me right you know like oh well, i would never have thought of that like you're brilliant darling you know um mary poppins is the only one who has the gall to look him right in the, the intestinal eye fortitude and and be like no she and pretty she, much got herself the job by killing all those other women. Well, that that's a story for another day. We already talked about Mary Poppins. But going back to Mr. Banks, Bert had a lot to do with the coming together of the children and Mr. Banks. Yes. So the children ran away. And this is when you get the really good. This is my second favorite scene of the film. The step in time chimney sweep mm-hmm. scene um, on the roof and stuff. It's fantastic. But the children ran away from their father because they did an outing at the bank that went awry. Yes. And they run into Bert, who's like, I'm a chimney sweep this week. And they're like, oh, great, a familiar face. We're so happy to see you. And Bert has a heart to heart with the children saying, well, you know, your father's not a bad guy. He's just doing what he feels is right. You know, kind of almost like saying like he was a kid once, too. And before the weight of the world crushed his soul. Right. You know, and and there's something to be said about having a lot of responsibility that can crush your childlike wind innocence. Wind, yeah, and, because and of just, how crazy he gets, he starts laughing at the joke and he start you know, the whole supercalifragilisticexpialidocious thing that he goes through. But it's not just that, it's also But, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay. not finished. And then at that very end, Bert also has a heart to heart with Mr. Banks. Right. And he Before Mr. Banks goes off yes. to pretty much receive his repercussions from the children creating a scene at the bank. And it's it's funny because neither Bert nor Mary Poppins ever contradict him. You know, it's almost like they're they're out lawyering him because she leads him down the, this this line of questioning. And even Bert's like, oh, imagine that Mary Poppins tricking you into spending time with your kids. The nerve. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And he's like, whoa, you're right. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. I had to be tricked into spending time having fun with my children. And you know, like where Mary Poppins takes a more cross approach, Bert took a more loving. I wouldn't approach. say cr- like, firm. Yes, 
Because she even says, I'm never cross, but true. I'm she's always never firm. Cross, she's always firm. Um, you know, and Mr. Banks is put in a position where he realizes that there's there's more to life than the life that he's living right now. And that he's going to miss his children growing up. He needs to stop existing and start living. That's what Michael Jackson said in Heal the World. And that's something that, you know, I think Bert is the kind of like yin yang to, to, to Mary Poppins. Because he also pulls a lot out of her, too. Because she can be a little too firm. He brings a lot can be out a of her. Too... Proper. Yes. She and doesn't want to. She doesn't want to play. She doesn't want to have any any nonsense going along. Well, it's not that she, but she just, goes I, I along know. with it. But and, and here's another theory I have: not that she doesn't want to, but she doesn't want to seem willing because she doesn't want the children to take advantage of it. So if she has to be, you know, she she has the scene where like the chalk chalk drawing, mm-hmm. you know, and and Bert's like, oh, like let's go in the picture and. And Mary Poppins is like, ah, absolutely not. This is this is just blasphemy. Like this is. And he tries to do, and he's and like, he oh, you do to... this, and you do the blink and the wink and this, and she's like, no, that's not how you do it. And so he's almost like and manipulating like, hey, and he's her like, into having Mary fun. Poppins, please. And she's like, oh, if I must, I must. You know, the but, tea but party on the ceiling. To. Yes, but um, you know, him drawing it out, or at least him making it seem like he's drawing it out of her makes her seem like a, she's not a pushover and that the children can't take advantage of her. Yes, they can have fun with her, but they also know to respect her and to follow her rules. And, you know, so, so I I think it's a, I think it's a thing that they do. And obviously we know that Bert knows Mary Poppins. They're friends. Right. I just, you know, I'm just curious. You know, so I'm wondering to... if this is just like their, their, their shtick, like their banter, their... Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, sort of. you know, like this is just, this is what they do. This is how they find joy in their friendship. So I do have a couple of, uh, of other questions, and it might just end up going back to my theory of like how he does everything. Um, he doesn't really have any magical ability himself but some of the stuff he owns is magical or has magical properties now i know you were not a fan of this because you're just like let things be separate but um i just want to pose this to the audience because i think it is interesting when people come up with theories there is a theory that mary poppins uh, this is from Reddit, I believe, that Mary Poppins uh, is an employee of the Ministry of Magic from the Harry Potter universe, and her job is to go out and kind of get the next generation used to ignoring magic and not uh, making a big deal of it if they see it and just like, oh, I must have just imagined this. And one of the things that they use as evidence is her denial that anything from the chalk drawing ever happened. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I wouldn't be in a in a horse race. How dare you insinuate that? She even says it. He goes, respectable person like me in a horse race? How dare you? 
And it was like, but I was there. I saw it. And it's like, no, you didn't. So she's exposing them to magic only to then say, nope, you imagined all of this. We had a lovely day at the park, and this is just your mind running wild. And that, you know, that's her her job is to kind of just go and uh, debunk or make kind of gaslight people into believing that magic doesn't exist and also that she went to Ravenclaw. Ashes isn't a huge fan of this theory, and I can understand where you're coming from because it's like... Well, I mean, like, Mary Poppins came out decades before Harry Potter was even a twinkle in someone's pen, you know? Keep these things separate. Like, not everything has to be traced back to Hogwarts. Not everything has to have a theory uh, of that sort around it. I think that we can let Mary Poppins be its own magical entity without having to drag Hogwarts into it. I agree. And and I'm I'm really enjoying Harry Potter right now. I'm almost done with the movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we saw both Fantastic Beasts. I like one more than the other. Yep. Um but like like so I, I I get it. I like it. But I don't think that everything needs to be connected to something else in some way. I think it has everything to do with the fact that people see connections and it's like, I love but this movie. But it has movie. nothing to I do know, with I it. I know, I am not saying that it does. Like, it makes me angry. It's like, just well, let Mary Poppins be magical on its own. It's the whole, like, these are things that I like. How can I connect these things that I like? It's kind of like my whole theory that Jim Hopper from Stranger Things is the same Jim Hopper who gets killed at the beginning of Predator. Like, that's the skinned body that they find, you know? That's, you know, that's a a way of me like, oh, maybe, you know, it's interesting because this could cross over. People like finding these things and pulling on threads. I'm not saying there's any validity to it, but if you search long enough, you can find connections from anything to anything else. Well, and that theory has absolutely nothing to do with Bert, and that's what we're talking about. So I'd like to get back to talking about Bert. I'm just using that as an analogy. So my big thing, like I said, you know, is he her herald? Does he you know go from place to place kind of like or are there multiple people like Bert you know like we see in the new film we have Lin-Manuel Miranda's Jack well and I think that we might actually have an answer to that question because like you'll see but it's also been 30 years so where Mary Poppins has magic she doesn't age she's Mm -hmm. absolutely flaws flawless you know practically perfect in every way um you know the Bert may be gone well there's there's definitely the kids are definitely going to bring this up like i don't think there's any way that the kids don't but i think like i I do think it's going to be addressed in some way yeah and who knows maybe we do see Bert at some point or he's referenced you know but I mean that's my my theory is and again it ties back to his little song poem that he says these people are in different areas you know say there's a Bert there's a Jack you know maybe all of the chimney sweeps because they all seem to have some sort of skill beyond chimney sweeping because you know, they were incredibly agile and they seem to have also some magical properties to them. Maybe they're just all uh, a part of this network and Bert was just this particular character. Like, there's a guy everywhere. And when you see Mary Poppins come in, that's why he said, I fear it's starting again. Meaning, like, 
oh man, you know, the Banks kids are in trouble. And Mary Pop, it's gotten to the point where they need Mary Poppins to come in, and then she would just go on to the next house and the next house because she makes that point. Like, what would what would happen to me if I loved all the children that I've helped? You know, I think she looks at it dispassionately. Where Bert does the same, but he takes a different approach that she does. I think they work directly for her. You know, and they call her in, sort of like you know one of your other favorite movies the uh the wizard of oz you know you've got the good witch watching over everyone i don't know it's just just a thought just trying to well i think we're going to see a little bit more with the movie that's coming out and because you know i i would say reference the books but uh the 1964 disney movie has r- other aside from the name mary poppins and the you know certain characteristics of of what she does she's magical and whatnot um they have very little in common so i don't know if mary poppins returns is going to reference the books a little bit more um i know i saw in an interview that emily blunt in order to prepare for this role actually did not watch obviously she's she's seen mary poppins yeah, I think everyone. But has she didn't rewatch point. it. To but she influence. didn't rewatch it. She didn't watch it with like a fine tooth comb, you know, um, to really study the role. She took to the books because she wanted to be able to add her own spin on it and not try to mimic Julie Andrews and not try to look like she was trying to mimic Julie Andrews. Similar to when we spoke to Malcolm McDowell about playing the same character Donald Pleasance played, he wants to put his own spin on it. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why instead of having another Burt character, they have Lin-Manuel Miranda playing a uh, character named Jack, who is a lamplighter. A, he still kind of has like a, a slight Cockney British accent. He does a better job than Dick Van Dyke did. And Dick Van Dyke actually <laughs> received a lot of crap, a lot of grief for his poor Cockney accent, especially from, I mean, from the cast, because the majority of the cast were all yeah. British. Um, he was like the only American on the set. Um, and he even worked with a voice coach as well yeah yeah and that's what he came up with but i mean like it's i I think i don't know i i I think it's charming well not everybody can you know what i mean like i i just there i love it i think it's silly and it it lends to the character well there are times where you know uh, an actor no matter how talented the actor might be they just no matter what they can't master the accent you see that in uh, snatch with Brad Pitt he could not master the accent so they just changed it so that you couldn't understand anything he was saying with Dick Van Dyke it was a little different they were just like you know he's a huge star at this point so they're just like mm-hmm. do your best you know and I think it really plays into the character because it's more like he's you don't know who he is he's not a chimney sweep he's not like he's this enigmatic character so by playing with the accent you know i don't think this was the intention but by playing with the accent you really can't nail down where he's from i mean there's just something so charming about the character that i think the accent just i mean it's silly and he's a silly character it just kind of lends itself to it's just the guy another... dances like a penguin you know, like that's the best part. 
when he's dancing with the penguins, taking Mary Poppins' order. I just have to, uh, and we, again, we talked about this when we watched it again. We're both huge fans of practical effects and especially era-specific effects. The way they were able to do this film with the interspersing of live action and animation where you've got, you know, this choreographed dance move that they then have to animate, you know, like penguins around, like Bert jumping over the sliding penguin and, you know, kicking his leg up over the penguin. Like, the way they were able to do that, just cleaning up the the nursery at the beginning, like, the way they were able to accomplish all these shots and show this magic without the use of CGI was just fantastic. And I think that really lends... You know, the tea party on the ceiling. It's not like they just flipped the room upside down and had everyone sitting. They had everything kind of floating up in the air. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of times what they would do is they would just bolt a table to the ceiling and just make it seem like they were they were upside down. But in this case, everything just kind of hovered up in the air. And look as hard as you as you want you're not going to see a wire like you can try and that really lends to the 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 charm of not just the character but the whole the film as a whole because especially in that scene where well where, there's a believability about it yeah and it's it's not especially like especially when it watching goes, it as a child yeah and it doesn't just go up in the air and just stop and like it's level it's no, kind it's, of bobbing it, up and down a little bit air. you know like it's with the wind and stuff like that you know any any air drafts it's it's done so well and that really again that really helps the character because you know he's able to interact with the environment and bring that as part of his performance. And, you know, we see that with that whole scene with, uh, I want to say his name is Fred Wynn. Edwin. Edwin. Ed Gwynn. And they're kind of like, you know, they're telling the jokes, they're going back and forth. And it's just, it's done so well. And I, I, I really think that, that scene there and the stepping time, those two scenes really, like, give you who Bert's character is. Like, yeah, he's there for a mission, but he's also there to just have a good time and, mm-hmm. like, bring joy to everyone he can, except for the fox hunters, because they're jerks. View hello. Oh, yes. View hello. All the talking animals. Like, he sings with everybody. But, uh, yeah, it's... I never really thought, like, this much in depth on the character. And I think maybe that's the cynicism of getting older and, you know, my over-analytical brain. Because, like, I never thought about it. He was just Bert. He was a guy that was there that Mary Poppins knew, and, like, that's it. But now it's like, well, I want to know more about him. And I think that, you know, part of that has to do with, you know, we see so many, like, origin stories for characters that, I mean, what's the point? I do think Bert should get his own movie. I think that would be great. And I think it should be made 50 years ago. 
you know, like a little bit of like the aftermath, like Bert's just kind of checking in on the kids and the dad and see how they're doing. Because, I mean, Mr. Banks got a promotion, but he's still at the bank. But I think he's going to be at the bank with a newfound sense of what's really important and where you should be investing your time and your energy. You know, and obviously Bert had a huge uh, impact on that. But he's, I don't think he's as effective at all without Mary Poppins. Like, Well, and that's, you know, something else I want to touch upon is the relationship between Bert and Mary Poppins. They kind of have a few uh, will they, won't they, um, you know. Uh, a lot of people mention the word friend zone um, when talking about some of the scenes that they're involved with. Now, a couple of things. First of all, watching this as a child, I fell in love with Dick Van Dyke as Bert. Like, I, I loved this character and wanted to find someone just like him. And you're and, welcome. And, um, but no, I think it was important. And this is uh, Walt Disney, when making the movie, kind of wanted them to have like a love story. And P.L. Travers was adamant about Mary Poppins not having that type of relationship with anyone. So she was basically a nun. Well, no, but but it, that's just because that's not what it was about. Right. The that's movie, not that's... what it was about. And I, and I feel like if they had had some sort of relationship like that, it would have taken away from the overall story of the movie. See, I think they did. I think that I you can tell that Bert loves her. He loves her. And she. And she's rather has... fond of him. She... But I feel like she also, she has boundaries and she has rules and she Mm. lives by those set of rules. And even though they're both interested in each other, it's almost like, you know, you have a really good friend, right? And you kind of have a few moments with them thinking like, oh, well, maybe this could be more than a friendship. But you kind of want to remain friends for the foreseeable future. So you decide to not pursue anything. That's kind of how I feel this is. They have such a great bond, such a great friendship, and they do truly love each other and have the utmost admiration and respect towards each other, but they don't want to ruin anything. I think, and because not only that, she travels a lot. Like she moves around. She goes wherever the wind takes her pun intended. I was like quite literally, you know, but so I, I don't think that it just it wouldn't have fit. See, I I feel differently. I feel that they had a relationship. And if circumstances were different, they would still be together. And the reason I say that is watching the interactions that they have with one another. When she first sees him and he first sees her, their faces light up. They absolutely light up looking at each other. And then during the penguin scene, when he's talking about all these other girls, you can see how like angry and disgusted she's getting until he says that she's number one. And then she gets kind of like goofy and flirty. 
if you notice, when she's talking to the children or she's talking to Mr. Banks, she's always like, this is how it is and I will not compromise. With Bert, she's like, well, this is how it is. Oh, come on. All right. So I think there was something there, but there was a mutual and amicable parting of the ways because they both realize this relationship that we have would compromise our ability to do what we need to do. And what we need to do is help mend families. We can still do that, but we can't be together because we're not as effective without... You know, if we're thinking about each other and we're trying to, like, if we have a disagreement or, or something, you know, it's like why you shouldn't date a coworker. You know, because if something happens at work, then, you know, or there's something going on with the relationship, it affects your job performance. And I think that's kind of what it was. So they were like, you know what? As much as we, we love and care about each other, we can't be together. And so they broke it off. But there's still that genuine love for one another there and they do genuinely enjoy being with each other and I think that's also part of the reason why Mary Poppins refuses to let herself get attached to the children for whom she is performing these different services I I disagree that's fine I don't think that I, I think that there's love there but I don't think there was any type of romantic whatever between the two of them, I think it's just nothing but admiration and and respect. I know. Just looking at the way they look at each other, I think there was more there. But that's me. I mean, you know, there's no, you know, we can't just like look it up and be like, oh, yes, this is exactly what it is. It says right here on page 12, you know, you know, they played canasta, but they never they never got in depth you know so which it's fine either way is fine you know the important thing is what their relationship is now and what their roles are in the lives of the families that they're helping yes i agree with that see and you know i said earlier that i don't think he he would be nothing without her because who's going to listen to some wacky chimney sweep sidewalk chalk drawing one man band like nobody cares but I also think she would not be as effective uh, especially with Mr. Banks because Mr. Banks you know he looks at his wife you know trying to get votes for women as like oh that's cute you have a hobby you know, and like when Mary Poppins speaks to him, it's like, yeah, okay, you're saying stuff, but you're still a woman. So, but when Bert reiterates the same thing that she says, you know, the guy kind of, and I think that's part of, you know, the time when the movie was produced and also the time that the movie was set in, you know, 1910, pre-World War One. you know, I think that had a lot to do with it. I mean, I think with any other family, I think that he would still be instrumental in who, you know, how how effective she is. I think she could still be effective without him, but he definitely boosts her ability because he brings a different, 
a different aspect to things. You know what I mean? Like, well, Mary Poppins tends to be rather independent, but even the most independent person needs someone. Yeah. And Bert is her person. Yes. I mean, look at the, uh, I, again, the, the, uh, the tea party on the ceiling scene. You know, the kids respond much better to Bert because they already have someone who's stern and disinterested and dispassionate about their their lives at home. Here's a, a, a male role model who, you know, is spending time with them and showing them that they care about them and, and encouraging them and stuff like that. You know, they don't see that very much from their father. And so Bert kind of takes on that paternal role as opposed to, you know, Mary Poppins, who is more of the stern school marm role, but at the same time providing them with magical adventures that she then denies ever happened. So she's providing them with whimsy and wonder, but at the same time, like... She's also providing them with structure and boundaries. It's like, hey, you were out in the rain all day. You need to take your medicine. Well, I don't want to take my medicine. Well, you take your medicine. Oh, my God, my medicine tastes amazing. So you're providing them with boundaries, but at the same time, giving them... Well, and fantastic songs, too. Well, yes. Can't just so, gloss over that. Well, you know, you got the whole gamut of... of uh, emotions and and everything that they've got going on so so i'm really eager to see the new movie coming out in less than a week we are going I'm, to the uh, dine-in theater for that so i'm very sad that there isn't a prominent bert character like you know bert is not in it um but yet we don't know that so i'm eager to see if they talk about him, if they touch base, if they have like a story about him, or if he shows up in some way. I also want to see, and I'm sure we will, a Julie Andrews cameo. I, yes. Yes, that would be, yes. I'm wondering what they have. I mean, because they've released, you know, a few trailers and everything looks great and magical and the cast looks wonderful and everything just you know i'm i'm really enjoying what i'm seeing so far and it makes me really excited to see the movie but i'm wondering what they haven't shown us you know what have they kept hidden because we haven't seen we know dick van dyke is in it but we have not seen him and you know what else haven't we haven't we seen so we have seen dick van dyke we have yes he looks exactly the way he looked in the original movie, I mentioned, yes, I mentioned that at oh. the beginning of the show. He looks exactly the same as he looked, only this time he's actually in his 90s instead of just pretending to be in his 90s. See, this is what happens when you talk sometimes. I just zone out. Oh, that's your loss. But this is, it's weird. Normally, I am all for watching every trailer and, and watching a number of different YouTubers break down every trailer that comes out, you know. The Godzilla one, which was fucking amazing. Uh, you know, the the new Avengers Endgame trailer. Like, all these things I, I watch. 
I haven't watched a lot of Mary Poppins. I think because I just want to be surprised. I want to get back to that sense of uh, of mystery and wonder that I saw when the first time I watched it as a kid. And I think not knowing, I mean, I don't mind theorizing because that's just who I am. I think not knowing is going to be like the best part of this. You know, being surprised. You know, I'm sure Julie Andrews will make a cameo. I mean, fucking Angela Lansbury is in it. Like, that's crazy. So if they can get Angela Lansbury, they can they can get at Julie Andrews. So, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we go to our last break? Nope, I think that was good. Ah, I think so too. Please feel free to share your thoughts on any of the stuff we've talked about. Uh, we're very interested to hear from you. So, let us know on Twitter, uh, Facebook, email the show, throw it on Thursday podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Anything that you think might be relevant, or even if it's not, any of your own thoughts, any of your own movies that you grew up with that had an impact on your life, positive or negative. And uh, I think with that, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Fueled by Tacos, Beer, and Bloody Marys, the only show featuring Baby Jesus with a nail gun, the pride of PA, and the show with the eye of the tiger, ladies and gentlemen, Punch Fire. Hey, this is Mark from Punch Farm. I'm here with Mark Dose. Hello. I'm here with Alicia. Hello. I'm here with Nikki. Hey. Join us every Monday as we talk about life, tacos, beer, and movies. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and punchfarm.com. Keep on punching! <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Ephes for Family. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday Podcast. Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the Whiz Kid. You know, a town without Best Darn Diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it, and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's Whiz Kid, Richie the Whiz Kid, and I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast. Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now, you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to Best Darn Diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly Review Show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. And we are back. So hopefully you uh, you folks have enjoyed that uh, that discussion about Bert from Mary Poppins. I know we've and if enjoyed you didn't talking about him. Suck it. I know we've enjoyed talking about him, so you know, that's always that's always a plus. I think that's uh, that's probably the most important thing is we want to find characters that we enjoy talking about. I like talking about things that I like. Yeah, like me. 
Wait, what? Uh, we'll see you next Thursday. I was uh, just looking for the string that it is on my, my hoodie, and um, I forgot that it came off in the washer, so I don't have the string that went to my hoodie anymore, so I don't know what I was looking for. That was a great story. Thanks it was for a sharing. great story. Um, so I think that was a really good good chat, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the movie and seeing how how the characters differ from the original. I'm not going to lie, though. When I heard that they were doing another Mary Poppins movie. You were pissed. I was very scared. Like, I was very pissed off. I was like, how dare they? Because initially it made it sound like they were remaking Mary Poppins. And it's like, no, you don't. Oh, no, you better don't. Like, I no. really wanted to see the fake. Over my dead body. You I really wanted Mary to see Poppins. the fake one. That was supposed to come out. Oh, the Tim Burton the one? The Tim Burton one with Helena Bonham Carter as Mary Poppins. I mean... Fuck yeah. Uh, um, that, I don't think that would have sucked. That would have um, been great. But anyways, the fact that they're... Johnny you know, it's a Bert. It's a sequel and, you know, it's uh, not so much a reimagining, but... Just like a continuation of the story. It's a new um, take on you know, the same and, and when they announced the cast, I don't think they could have found anyone more perfect to play Mary Poppins than Emily Blunt. She is so talented and so delightful. I also think getting Lin-Manuel Miranda to play the Burt-like character. brilliant. And he actually worked with a voice coach as well to kind of nail down the accent and to sing with an accent as well because, you know, obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda sings. Mm-hmm. I mean, hello, Hamilton, Hamilton um, in the Heights. Like, but he has never had to sing with an accent. So the fact that he's doing it and from what I've heard so far sounds really pretty good um you should post that interview that he had with lady gaga in the group oh my god they interviewed each other about a star is born and mary poppins it was just i just it's about an hour long and i was just loving the entire hour like every second of it i was just eating up i could not get enough of that um but and and you know what helps the likability factor. There's something so likable about Emily Blunt, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And there's something definitely likable about Lin Manuel Miranda. I loved him when he was on House. You know, like he's just he's so talented, and the fact that he has this knowledge of theater. And I mean, Emily Blunt does as well. She was in Into the Woods, um, mm. which you know, well, the film adaptation. I don't know if she's done any stage stuff, but if she hasn't, she should, because I think she'd be really good at it. But anyways, the announcing of the cast and whatnot made me really excited, kind of gave me hope. I was like, okay, you know, they're, they're taking this very seriously. They're not just trying to throw it's not together a cash something. Grab for nostalgia's sake. Right, right. Which It's is not kinda, a Michael Bay Transformers which movie. Which is what I feel like we're inundated with right now. You know, yes, we're all thirsty for nostalgia. It makes us feel good, but... If you're going to do something, do it right. Like Christopher Robin. I think this is in the same vein. You know, the grown-up version of the characters that we grew up with who are now the same age as us, roughly, when we watched the movie as kids. And now, you know, we get to see them through, you know, our own eyes just as we saw the kid. Like, you know, Jane and Michael we saw as kids. They were kids. And now... 
they're adults with their own issues facing the same problems that we face. And I think it's uh, it's very interesting and it's very clever because if you're going to do a sequel that's playing on or a, a reimagining. Yeah, I think the term is a requel, kind of like Force Awakens. Where they yeah. like rehash similar stories for a different generation, but with a lot of you know nostalgia in it, right? And it's you know it's they're aiming for the same audience they aimed for thirty years ago. You know, I just hope that, and from what I've seen so far, I think this is what they're doing. You know, it's being made from a place of love. You know, from a place of wanting to, you know, continue this story and do it justice and do mm-hmm. a good job and, you know, put a lot of love into these characters and, you know, treat these characters with respect. I agree. So I think that's definitely going to wrap because we, we could just keep going on and on about this stuff. But um, I think we should definitely wrap it up. Uh, we do have some stuff coming up. And we have some battle results for you. Uh, if you want to refresh people's memory on what our two battles were. Sure. Let me find my notes. Well, you have your Here's notes right there. Finding notes music. Chim chimini, chim chimini, chim chim churoo. I've got some muffins. Would you like some too? Chim chimini, chim chimini, chim chim churoo. Sorry, but all of these muffins are for me. If you want some muffins, they're right at the store. You can go get them if you walk out the door. Don't you mean Pop-Tarts? Oh, no, them's mine. (laughs) You ain't getting none of my Pop-Tarts, and there's probably not going to be any left at the store. Okay. I sang you a song. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone, uh, especially our listeners out in Scandinavia. Thanks. We love you guys. Um, so anyways, so because we're horrible people, we have two battles for you because we're we not. forgot to do. That's not fair. We're horrible people for a lot of reasons. Well, this is true. This is true. Not, not just the one thing. It's a plethora of things. We're yeah. really good at being horrible people. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the first battle from a couple of weeks ago, uh, this was, uh, the efforts for family episode where we were joined by Mike Price. Mm-hmm. Uh, our animated, matrimated, yes, I made that word up, tag team turmoil. We had Frank and Sue from Efforts for Family versus Homer and Marge from The Simpsons versus Peter and Lois from Family Guy versus Bob and Linda from Bob's Burgers in a table, ladders, and chairs match. And I think uh, a lot of folks w- voted the same way I did because uh, of the experience. Uh, the Simpsons very narrowly beat out uh, Family Guy for that for that championship because uh, while Homer and uh, Homer and Peter have actually fought before and they fought to a, a, a draw, but uh, there's no Family Guy wrestling game, unfortunately. And where Marge and I think because Marge and Homer have the uh, the advantage of. Well, I mean, and they both have episodes where Marge gets pretty jacked at one point. And she competes as a uh, a female bodybuilder and beats the shit out of the guy who tried to mug her in a scene that is a shot-for-shot remake of James Caan as Sonny Corleone beating the shit out of uh, his his brother-in-law and, and the Godfather. 
there's a couple of episodes and I'm remembering one in particular where Lois does karate. Yes. And Taijutsu. And and, and gets very much carried away with it. She defeats uh, General Zod and his two minions there. Doesn't she grab Peter's balls and says... She grabs his dick. This is mine. This is where my babies come from. Yes. Yes. But yeah, so she has some... They both have some uh, some fighting skill. Yes. See, I was a little bummed. Uh, I voted for Bob, uh, Bob and Linda Belcher because Linda Belcher is crazy. I feel like her crazy factor. Not against would those play two. Play into it. Not against those two. Lynn Lois has a lot, and so does Marge. They have a lot of pent up frustration and anger with their dipshit husbands. So. That's what happened. It went, uh, it went. Uh, the The Simpsons, Family Guy, then Bob and Linda, and unfortunately Frank and Sue, because I think they haven't been around as long and they haven't proven how good they are in a fight. Even though I mean, Frank, Frank did fight Jimmy Fitzsimmons. Dad. Well, and he threatens to put people through a wall, but he hasn't actually done it yet. Yeah, that's different from actually having so street you know, having the empty threat that that you know. Homer fought the heavyweight champion of the world, Dredrick Tatum. And uh, what was the second battle? So the second battle, battle. Wow. Second battle was from our Gamera episode last week. It is our Kaiju Karate Calamity. We had Gamera versus King Kong versus Anguirus. 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 Anguirus, yes. Versus Gorosaurus. And obviously Gamera won. It was very close. Like he just edged out Kong. Uh, Angerus was right behind, uh, was that, and way off in the distance was, uh, was, uh, what's his name there? Uh, Gorosaurus. Reminds me, there was this uh, website that I used to frequent called Electric Ferret, and they would do, uh, you know, different battles and they would write them out. And uh, they had a fight. It was the Juggernaut versus Doomsday versus the Hulk. And basically, uh, the Hulk and, and Doomsday teamed up to punch Juggernaut into orbit, and then they concentrated on fighting each other. That's essentially what happened with uh, with uh, Gorosaurus. He did not do well. Now, if this was El Gorosaurus, it might have gone a little differently. This is true. So, because he doesn't wear gloves, he doesn't hold back. So. But yeah, Gamera, Gamera won that in a close match against Kong, which I kind of expected. But uh, there's your results. Um, that's actually going to be the last battle for the year. Uh, we're going to kind of hold off on battles till we get to the uh, the new year because we got a lot of stuff coming up. So, and what are we doing next week? Well, next week we're going to be talking about one of our favorite uh, Christmas characters because it is that time of year. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? That's right. We'll be talking about Will Ferrell's character from Elf, the uh, titular Elf, Buddy. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to that because that's a really fun movie and we just rewatched that as well. It's really fun to quote. And there's a lot of fun stuff that we learned in doing our research from this. So I just... uh, It's going to be so much fun. 
So I think with uh, that being said, uh, I think we'll go ahead and bring this episode to a close. And of course, we will see see you you next next Thursday. Thursday.